0: you're listening to killer queens a true crime podcast some material may be disturbing and we use adult language listener discretion is advised if you love the show be sure to hit subscribe so that you never miss new episodes and if you want to support the show please visit www.patreon.com slash killer queens pod where as little as three dollars a month gets you early access to shows and amazing additional content now on to today's case what's up hey y'all Hi, here we are again. Here we are. There you are. Yep. Here Everybody's are. where they're supposed to be. Love it. So we're going to do the American murder mystery, Pamela Smart. Yes. They have it as Pamela, right? Yeah. Um, And please forgive us for all of the New Hampshire accents. <laughs> it's going to be wicked awful. (laughs) I feel like I've been really practicing and it's not getting any better. I've never been able to do it, but I'm Mm -mm. excited to hear how it goes. It's an interesting accent. Yes. Yeah. It's like wicked hard. (laughs) (laughs) Also, everything is going to start with wicked. So yeah, because that's all we know. But I feel like when people try to do a Southern accent, they're like, Hey, y'all. How are you? (laughs) Fine, Tom. Thanks for asking. How's your mom in them. Yeah, but we do say that. Yeah, we do. All right, well, let's get into it. Here we go. Bill Flynn was so obsessed and so love struck, he might have done anything to be with Pamela Smart. You've made a lot of mistakes so far in this case. I sure have. Was killing your husband one of those mistakes? No, it wasn't. The target was me. It was all about me. There was so much red hot information, all negative to Pam Smart. She's trying to scare me into shutting my mouth. The first day of the trial was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Those young men knew what they did then. Billy was living a fantasy. What could be the other side of this story? It was just a war of words. Who else could defend me but myself? It's teenager against young adult. Who do you believe? Okay, so the documentary starts off with a recap of everyone, like all of the friends of Greg's and I guess, and Pamela's as well, but, um, they're all telling about Greg, like what they loved about him, how awesome he was. And then you get, you go to a flashback of a clip from when Pamela was on the news and she just said, he'll always be a part of the decisions I make and all the things that I do. Cause he's always with me. So you go to May 1st, 1990 in Derry, New Hampshire, which Derry to me will always be in Maine and Pennywise the clown will always be there as well. Cause oh, that's God. the town. Yes. I didn't realize that. Yes. I, I must've blocked it out of my memory. <laughs> yes. But that's where the scene of the crime is. And it's a Tuesday night and, um, Diane diamond. She is one of the reporters. Wow. So really whistly. s. I love Diane diamond. She is great. She is classy. I just, she's, She's everything I wish I could be. And she's got a nice little haircut. Like, I really like her. She does. She's beautiful. She's Mm well-spoken. So she was talking about that when police get there, they see – or her neighbors see a hysterical woman running out of her condo. Yeah. And this is May 1st, 1990. I already said that. You did? I sure did. You just don't pay attention. You don't listen. I'm so sorry. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's May 1st, 1990. I came up with that. Yes, <laughs> I never said it at all. So then there was the 911 call, and Pamela is on the phone with poli- or the dispatcher and saying that she thinks that her husband needs medical attention. It's that- so weird. She's like, he's passed out. Mm-hmm. What What do you mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, just the weirdest thing. Like, yeah. And she never really, like... It's, I don't know. I mean, we always go back to like the sense of urgency, but it's kind of just, I don't know. She's not, doesn't seem alarmed or really, you know, I mean, she's kind of like. She's making it. Well, it's an, it's a neighbor that calls, but she's making it like you can hear her in the background and the guy, the dispatcher's like, do you know why he's passed out? And the girl's like, do you know why he's passed out? And she's like, no, he's just passed out. He needs help. It's like, well, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. You're all the way over here. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, dairy police enter the home of Pam Smart. She was 22 at the time. And she's um, convinced that her husband, of less than a year, so they were coming up like the next week, yeah. would have been their first a- wedding anniversary. He needs medical attention. So, Pam says that everything was instantaneous. And this is the documentary is kind of interesting because they interview Pam. Yeah, I'm, I thought so too because. They talked about, like, kind of in the intro that they were going to interview her. So I knew at some point we were going to see her. I didn't think we'd see her right here. Right, I was really like surprised. Instantly, Yeah, I thought it was going to be one of those things where, like, they go through the whole thing. And then in the very last episode, they'll be like, an exclusive, like, bombshell, blah, blah, blah. She drops some things that she's never before told anybody else. Like, I thought it was going to be a real cheesy thing. But they just, like, bust out and talk to her immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she says that the police were right there, and so was Greg's family because they lived right around the corner. So they arrived right, I guess, around when the police arrived. Yeah. She said that's when she heard the officer said to say he's dead, and she said she doesn't remember the entire night, just flashes of it because everything was blurred. She was super upset. She cannot remember, you know, how like when you think back on a very either traumatic memory or – you know, busy or something like that. Like it's, yeah. you get like little blips of it and not really the entire thing. So right after the body is found, a homicide detective is assigned to the case. And his name is Dan Pelletier. I was going to say it. <laughs> you, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care. He was saying, which is really interesting to me, and I don't know if it happened, like if it was just the time in history or what, but he was like, dairy is i mean it's a very small town there were like he's this is may he said there were no other homicides that entire year so up until may and he was like and probably the year before like nothing happens yeah there. they did not have super low crime rate. Y- great pff, god yeah yeah i thought that was interesting too It was like it may have even been more than a year it's mm-hmm. like well i guess you might as well go ahead and tell us you didn't know what the fuck you were doing <laughs> <laughs> just kidding yeah. you didn't, didn't have job. any because you weren't looking for it obviously oh yeah it's his fault it's his fault there you go what he said when he walked in to the house he noticed Greg's body laying in the hallway and he came up on his feet first he said his arm was out like kind of sticking out and it appeared there had been a struggle of some kind like the condo that they lived in had been ransacked there was a stereo that was turned upside down um jewelry was missing like yeah drawers were just like pulled out yes clothes it, everywhere yeah it was definitely a huge it was just a mess is it, what was it was a big mess if if my son was there he would say look at this big mess he would not have been happy about no that. you're like what happened to my home <laughs> <laughs> i just cleaned it up in here <laughs> but um detective Pelletier said that there was no sign of forced entry. So the back door was ajar. It was mm-hmm. not not open all the way, but it was like a couple inches open. There, They had like, I don't know what you call these doors, but it's like to go into the basement. Yeah, it was almost like a cellar or yeah. like a storm shelter looking. Yeah, like on the entry. movie Twister. Yeah. And those were like, not locked or chained or anything there was, it was so easy to have gotten into that house. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like they're, they're saying there's no sign of forced entry, which obviously that's going to perk your ears up when you're thinking about, is this a home invasion or a burglary or whatever? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there were entry ways that were either open or not locked. So Mm -hmm. you're not necessarily going to have forced entry, I think. And As far as where Greg and Pam lived, so it's kind of hard to, they live in a condo. They don't live in a a standalone home. So like if you're looking at their condo from the front of it, their condo is the last one on the right. And it's connected to other condos. Yes, connected. So it's got one directly connected to it on the left. On the right side of it, So if like you're looking at the front, they've got like steps and there's like a little stoop in the front door. There's not, there's nothing else there. If you were to go around the right side, that's where those like cellar door things were that lead down into the basement. And then if, and then off to the side, there's like kind of an open area of grass and then there's more units like off, but it's a separate building. And then around the back is there, they've got a back deck and that back door was open mm-hmm. or slightly ajar. Yes. So it's not, it's not like a standalone home, and they did have another unit directly attached to them. Mm-hmm. And they were just kind of surprised that – because I think that the initial thought with everything being ransacked and then the jewelry missing and stuff like that was that it was a home invasion and a burglary gone wrong. Yeah. Um, but then next to Greg's body – his wallet's still there. And he still has his wedding band on. Yeah. And there were things, like the radio. I mean, if you're... In 1990. Yeah. If you are going to burglarize someone's home and you're going to leave those things, like, I understand not picking up a tube TV because those shits are heavy. They're very heavy. But the radio and then his wallet, for sure, with the credit cards in him, um, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I think, like, you could play devil's advocate and say... Maybe okay. they took like... Go ahead. I'm getting ahead of you. Well, like maybe say this was a random attack and it's like a burglary or whatever and they think that nobody's home and then they come in and... Are or maybe they're already in there. By Greg. And Greg comes home and they're surprised and, and they, weren't, they weren't out to commit murder. They brought a gun for whatever reason just to maybe... Well, they didn't know anything about a gun there was a candlestick next to him that looked right it looked like it had some blood on it to me but they said there was no blood they couldn't see there was yeah, no there blood around him so they yeah. thought that it was blunt force trauma that killed yeah him. yeah it wasn't directly obvious like what had happened but like say these are burglars and you know they just they bring a weapon with them just to bring a weapon with them everybody everybody grab a weapon <laughs> <laughs> so greg comes home they are surprised. Shit goes wrong, yeah, like, and they end up killing him. And then they're like, "Oh fuck, we gotta get the fuck out of here." Maybe they do leave. And we gotta leave this fucking house if, before we fucking do something else. I don't want to fucking get arrested. <laughs> but like, God, if the if there was a cursing police, <laughs> I'd have to turn you in, life in prison. <laughs> um, but. I think it's possible in that situation that maybe you do, if you are, you know, surprised things go away, not according to plan, that maybe you're just like, you know what, let's get out of here. Right. And you forget to bring the stuff with you because you're just like, oh my God, something happened, I killed somebody. Yeah. Like, I think that's possible. Sure, it's possible. Um, It's a lie, but it's possible. Yeah, I think once you look at everything else in this case... When you put it all together, that's right. not what happened. But it is possible. Yes. Okay. We get it, Torella. So without any suspects, police were like, let's look at who Greg is and or, excuse me, was. So they learned that Pam and Greg met in college while well, they were both in college. They went, didn't go to college together, but they were both in college. I don't think Greg went to college. Did he? Yes, he did. Oh, Rude. He went in New Hampshire. Oh, I thought, okay, I misunderstood because Diane said he wasn't really concerned with that kind of stuff. I misunderstood. Yeah, she said he wasn't a very good student. He didn't want to like, he wanted to party and not do his schoolwork. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know why you would be so disrespectful to Diane and like not listen to her. Yeah, that's true. That was disrespectful of me. I'm so sorry, Diane. I I mean, just get it together. I thought I knew where you were going, and I didn't. (laughs) But they said that Greg was a fun-loving guy, that he was always down for a good party, which sure, I have been that way in the past. I don't like parties anymore, really, but I like to have a good time. I mean, who doesn't? He sounds like a hoot. He was, I think. Um, But he was not the kind of student that Pam woe us. Yeah was, whoa just she was an overachiever. She was exactly the opposite of him. Like she was very, very into her studies and doing her lessons hmm. as our granddaddy would say. Mm-hmm. And she was just like overachieving over here, overachieving over there. Yeah. And she grew up in Miami, Florida. Yes. Her dad was an airline pilot and she said her mother was a great homemaker. And I was like, that's a nice way to say that that is because you are that is your job yeah I mean that's a full-time job yeah and she was like you know she was always around really involved in our lives and I mean she sounded like she had a lot of respect for both of her parents but Mm -hmm. when she was in the eighth grade though they moved to New Hampshire Mm -hmm. and Sonia Fort and Simon I love when people have like it's their maiden name as their middle name or you know maybe a hyphen or something I don't know but they like hi, I'm Sonia Fortin-Simon. Like it's, yeah, (laughs) she could just be Sonia Simon. Yeah. But she didn't want to and that's her prerogative and that's fine with me. Well, I mean, how else are you supposed to get compliments on your hyphen if you don't even have a hyphen? (laughs) That's true. That is true. A little Uncle Buck UB humor for you. (laughs) She said that she was Pamela's best friend and that Pam in college was a radio DJ. God. She loved... Heavy Metal, and she was super into Van Halen. She even had a dog that she named Halen. But she was known as the Maiden of Metal, which okay <laughs> I don't know she had the hair for it she sure did oh she had gosh. like the exact same hair that all of the heavy metal dudes had been <laughs> it was like yes. a perm that was like brushed out oh yeah and it was giant it was surprisingly not bleached but it definitely did look like it took a beating at some point like it always that kind of hair always looks like You sprayed it with a lot of hairspray and then brushed through it, which is like the worst thing that you can do to your hair, I feel like. Yes. And then like maybe lit it on fire and put it out quickly. I don't know. I got to tell you, to have been like an adult or a young adult in the 90s, how freeing would that be? I know. Because you could just like, now it's like everybody has to do their hair that's like perfectly curled and like you want it to look effortless, but it's still got to look classic and it's... Got to look like, you know, you could share it on Pinterest and it has to be on your Instagram story and everything. And all these people were like, fuck it. I'm going to get some Aquanet. I'm going to get my hair real big. Going to tease it up a little bit. I don't care what it looks like in the back. Swipe with my finger some light blue eyeshadow on. Mm-hmm. I'm good to go. Yep. Exactly. Easy peasy. <laughs> exactly. And that was the style. And that's what because later on, we'll talk about a reporter um and he met Pam and he and I'm sure for the time it was great but he was like she was she looked beautiful shoulder pads but days and they were nice looking shoulder pads like she she really really turned it out it was nice but that was like the look you know like oh "Oh, dang (laughs) that girl looks good (laughs) like really are we looking at the same person here but anyway and we had perm's too. so we can't... And we probably have that same exact dress, so... for little <laughs> <Yes>. girls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With, like, velvet shoes or something. <laughs> um, Big time. So she met Greg over Christmas break, and he... Because she was going back home before Christmas break in New Hampshire. He was there because he was in school. He was in school. Okay. In New Hampshire. And... I already told Diane I was sorry. <laughs> they... So after Christmas break... Pam goes back to Florida, but she still wanted to be with Greg. And she was like, I knew that he was the one for me early on. So I just wanted to make that work however I could. So they did the long distance thing for a while, but then Greg needed a change from, he, she just said that he just wanted like a big life change. He was ready to make a change in his life. So he moved to Florida to be with Pam um, in Gainesville because that's where she was going to school. Florida State so Pam graduated from Florida State in 1988 and then she and Greg both moved back to New Hampshire now we talked about Pam's power mullet but we did not talk about Greg and how much of a metal head he was as well mm-hmm. like he had the look he wore a lot of leather I'm guessing Probably some stonewash or acid wash jeans oh sure yeah 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 he had long hair. He did have long hair. He had good hair though. Yeah. He had like a rocker look, everybody said, but they said it was just like a facade, tough exterior. He yeah. was a total teddy bear. He was like totally a teddy bear. He was like a, he was like wicked soft. <laughs> wicked, soft. <laughs> wicked soft. Wicked soft. Uh-oh. Oh, that was the word. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> we're going to have to take that one down 20% 20 25% yeah <laughs> so then when they moved back pam found a job in the school system so she worked at a media center at the winocunnet i high school i have never disliked the name of a school so much i know winocunnet it, it's too many ends it's too it's like winchesterton fieldville to me <laughs> it's just too much yeah it's I'm a know, helpful, it's a really sure. long Name, I hate it, I'm yeah, so sorry. it is a little long. So her job working in the media center was that she wrote press releases, she made videos, and she taught the students how to use the AV equipment. Greg made another life, huge life change when he moved back, and going away from his, like, rocker vibe that he had, he went to work with his dad selling insurance. Then Pam and Greg got married on May 7th, 1989. Well, and when he went back, or when he started working with his dad, he cut his hair, too. Mm -hmm. And that was, like, a huge thing for him, but I think also for Pam. Like, I mean, it's speculation, I guess, but one of the things that drew her to him was that he looked like a rocker, and she was the maiden of metal. (laughs) So... Did she give herself that nickname, I wonder? I wonder. I don't know. I mean, I guess... It reminds me of the wedding singer when Linda comes up and she's telling him that she's like, couldn't do it, you know, like, because she leaves him at the altar, basically. And she's like, you used to wear spandex and you would lick in the microphone like David Lee Roth. And he's like, I still got the spandex. I'll go put it on right now. And then the nephew comes out and he's like, hey, Linda, you're a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of feel like that's how she was, Greg, because I feel like she was kind of like, when we got together, you were super rockery. That's kind of what I like. You sort of look like a bad boy. And now we live in New Hampshire again. You are an insurance salesman. And now you cut all your hair off like and now you're wearing suits and stuff. Yeah, gross. I feel like it was just a big difference for her. And maybe she was kind of like, are we already an old married couple, or I don't know? Like I think it. And just, she was twenty one at the time. Yeah, she was. Or very she was twenty two. She was twenty two when he was murdered. Right. So yeah. I think so when he she was when they got married, he was yeah. She was twenty one. He, he was, was twenty three. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, they were still really young, and I mean, it, it sounded like because the police said they still had parties there a lot and oh, stuff. Yeah. But so I don't think they stopped doing fun things. But I don't know. I think it. I think it just changed things a little bit for her. Like maybe she kind of felt like. That he was changing as a person, and I don't think she was expecting that. Right. Maybe. Yeah, I think so too. Police started asking neighbors about what happened, and they were trying to find witnesses, anything to give them a lead on what happened. And like Terla just said, they heard that the smarts had a lot of parties and there was possible drug use involved. And when they searched Greg's truck, they found – and I know this is what it's (laughs) called, but it's just so like (laughs) – a square you know like yeah. they found a marijuana cigarette yeah he's like we did find a marijuana cigarette and i was like oh dear god <laughs> think of the children guard your loins yeah no hmm, no there's something else
1: yeah maybe that i
0: don't know yeah i i'm like are they cigarettes though they're just they're it's a joint you yeah, could so say a that joint. but maybe if you maybe you should have said a doobie yeah <laughs> he was obviously smoking a doobie cigarette. <laughs> doobie <laughs> cigarette. We found a doobie cigarette and a an <laughs> half-eaten bag of sun chips. Yes. you yeah. will. They always go hand in hand. <laughs> they do. Or cheese balls or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So they thought that maybe Greg was involved with drug dealing. Which but then the next thing that they said was, the police search the condo for narcotics but find nothing. I'm like, just because you do, you smoke a doobie... Cigarette. doesn't mean you're like, you're like loaded up with pills a, and heroin and drug shit. ring and trafficking yeah it was like yeah. what do you mean you're looking for narcotics those are not the same thing maybe they didn't look in Pamela's bum because that's probably where they were hiding at all <laughs> oh. oops <laughs> oops so yeah that was really strange to me like I don't know I just kind of feel like like, did somebody's they, grandmother write that yes. part of it? Like, <laughs> like, they really took it and ran with it. Yeah, like, just because somebody s- has smoked a little weed doesn't mean, yeah, they're like a total, like, junkie. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. What is his name? Um, oh, my gosh. Ashley Larry. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> is that not what you're talking that's about? That's not what I was talking <laughs> about, but that's better. Yes, exactly. Guess we're going to go get some crack. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she no. hilarious. So <laughs> yeah, so it's just kind of I don't know, like whoa, okay, yeah, grandma, like calm your tits. Yeah, okay, that's taken it's a huge a step. Would you wonder in here high on ecstasy? <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Clearly, um, doing lines of shrooms. Yeah. So they, the middle of the night, Detective Pelletier receives an urgent request, and friends of Pam's start to like they're calling the detective to tell them that Pam really wanted to talk to them. And she was wondering why they didn't want to talk to her. It's like, so middle school. Like, yes, exactly. Give him this note. Yeah. and Ask him if he wants to be my boyfriend. Exactly. I'm like, okay, why don't you just fucking call them? Mm -hmm. And again, I feel like it's weird that she's not, yeah, that she's not calling and she's not calling saying, Hey, did you find anything? What happened? What's yeah. going on? She's like, why are you guys not talking to me? Yeah, my friend wants to know why you're not talking to her. Are you mad at her? <laughs> right? Exactly. What's wrong? Like, quit. I I think she wanted freaking weirdo them to call. She wanted to be like the object of their. You know what I mean? Like, she wanted to be the most important person. But I think also she. I think she was nervous, maybe sure. because she had something to hide. I think. So then she's like, you call and find out why they're not calling me. And maybe I think she was thinking if they are suspecting me or something or if they found some information, maybe they would tell that person and that person could give me the heads up. It's like I don't want to be surprised or like get in trouble when I call or something. Maybe it's because she was so high from all of the drug deals that they were doing. Oh that yeah. she was just paranoid as shit, you know? Like Yep, that's what all those narcotic marijuana cigarettes will do to you. <laughs> yes, doobie cigarettes. It's just crazy. Yeah. So then Pam and I'm guessing her friends, because she obviously can't do anything her fucking self, yeah. went to the dairy police station and they were or they she was interviewed by the detectives. So they took her into a side interview room to talk to her. I don't know why it's important that it's a side interview room, but it was a side interview room. Okay, good. Not a center one. Definitely a side one. It's on the side. Got it. So they questioned Pam about the night that Greg was murdered, and she said that that day she had to attend a meeting at school, and it was a school administrative unit meeting. She called Greg around 3 to tell him that she was going to go to that meeting, and she said that's the last time that she talked to him that day. And she says she got home around 10.30 – that evening because the meeting ran over, but it's like, that's a freaking long meeting. That's a super long meeting. And what I gathered from that was, cause like, you know, they were like, this was not a normal day for Pam. And, you know, she had to be there late because her thing was the last thing on the list or whatever. But, and I think Pam, so obviously if she finds out she's not in trouble yet, she wants to talk to the police immediately because she's got to get all of her information out. She wants to tell them, recount all the the parts of her day mm-hmm. so that they see that she couldn't have been there because she was at this meeting and other people saw her there and all this stuff. So in her mind, it's giving her this alibi. Right. Now, as a trained detective myself... Well, yes, of course. I was wondering how you, what your take on it was. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So... I know that when a murder like this occurs and this happened to be a day out of the ordinary for the victim's spouse, that's a red flag. Now. It's what we in the biz call a red flag. Exactly. Because if this was a run-of-the-mill day for her and maybe somebody had like been watching their house, like casing their house for some reason to like, hey, I've been looking at these condos and we're going to hit one or whatever. Home alone style. Exactly. They're casing the place and they, they get to know their routine. They know that... Greg works till so and so time. Uh, Pam's normally not there. Like they're gonna try to find typically a time when they think they're nobody's, nobody's gonna, gonna be, be home. home. Sure, but when there's a special circumstance, like an after-school meeting that no one could have known about, nobody could have known about it. So now the perpetrator has to find this out. How do they find this out? because they know the victim or they know somebody that lives with the victim that's going to tell them what's happening. So this is special information that now they've got to get instead of just, like, it happening as it normally happens. And, like, could a random attack happen on that day? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, there are times where it's just, like, the wrong place at the wrong time kind of thing. Like, I'm normally... Not at a meeting, but today I was and something happened. My house got broken into. But the likelihood of that is a lot smaller. And then when you fit in everything else again, it it starts to add up. So it's very convenient for Pam that the day of her special circumstance where she had this meeting that they never had happens to be the day that somebody breaks in and murders her husband mm It's a little,
1: it's, it's a little suspicious.
0: Yep, exactly. So she says, because now we're talking to Pam again. Well, Pammy says that she was walking up to the condo and she noticed that the lights were off, which was strange because Greg was there because she saw his truck there. Mm-hmm. So, and he's not one, well, maybe once he got his, um, well, insurance job. Now he goes to bed promptly at 8.30 every night. I don't know. I don't know what the man, but... I mean, maybe he has to wake up really early. Maybe. Maybe he fell asleep and he's watching TV. and You know, all kinds of things can happen, but anyway, she said it was weird. So then she walks in and she saw she sees Greg laying there. There's no blood or anything, so it looked like he had been hit like, and... <laughs> he had gotten hit in the head. So she looked up and noticed that the house was ransacked. And she said it looked like somebody had been in the house. And she didn't know if maybe that person was still in the house. Yeah. So she gets scared. She doesn't want to stay there. She runs to the neighbors. I think that part is understandable. I think so too. If you think somebody could still be in the house. Yes. You'd want to maybe make a phone call. But at the same time, maybe you don't want to go inside your own house to make the phone call. You don't want to get deeper in the house in case somebody's still there. I guess I get that. But at the same time, if you're like, she said she knew he wasn't dead or she thought he wasn't dead. She's like, I didn't think he was dead. I just thought he was hurt. He'd been hit. So she didn't like touch him. She didn't talk to him. She didn't do any of these things. She didn't even like try to get welfare, him. check him at all. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's your husband. So I feel like if I walk into my house and I know it's slippery slope, we can't say how you would react or whatever, but... It's just, especially with her saying, I didn't think he was dead. Now, if she'd walked in and said, it was obvious he was dead. I touched him and he was cold. There's I knew nothing he else was I can dead. Do. Yeah, I know that I cannot help him at all. I would understand that a little bit more. But she doesn't say that. She says that she thinks he's still alive and he's been hit. And he's unconscious. So I feel like if I walk in and I find my husband and I think he's unconscious, and I think he needs medical attention, I don't think you're going to be able to pry me off of him. Well, exactly. And I also think that it's not crazy to assume that you wouldn't be using a rational mind in that kind of situation, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think, because I know we always do that whole slippery slope, where it's like, well, we can't say what we would or wouldn't do. However, I can pretty, safe, pretty much safely say that I would not be thinking correctly and I would probably be like in fight or flight mode and then also just like not doing the maybe not the smartest things but you know what I mean like it's just gonna be like oh my gosh my first priority is this person that I care about that is on the floor right yeah because you're not gonna be thinking like well, if somebody murdered him, I don't need to get my DNA, you know, like you're going to be all over them. You're going to be touching them. You're going to be, you're going to be feeling, you're going to be checking for a pulse. You're going to be maybe starting CPR. You're going to be touching his cheek. Greg, wake up. Greg, are you okay? Greg, what's going on? Like you're going to touch him and you're going to talk to him. And she didn't do any of those. Exactly. So she runs to her neighbor's house and starts banging on the door. And asking for someone to help her. And that's when we hear the 911 call. So detectives asked Pam if her husband had any connections to the drug trade or if he had any money problems. And she said no. That um, everything she is revealing is pointing to the burglary gone wrong type of scenario. Right. But when detectives searched the body the night of the murder, they noticed Mm -hmm. that his wallet was still there. So that's like, they're like, "Uh, I mean... It kind of seems like that's what it is, but also there are some red flags yeah, going on with that as well. Yeah. So the medical examiner confirmed his cause of death, and they thought at first, like we said, that it was blunt force trauma, but then they found out that it was a bullet, and it was a medium caliber, caliber bullet that they pulled from his brain or from his head, and he was shot execution style. So people are anonymously telling detectives that greg had a gambling problem so they went to atlantic city which is i guess where they said it was his old stomping grounds so they went there to figure out about this gambling thing they interviewed people that were he was involved with and found out there was no such thing as a gambling problem and no debt that he had yeah they were like we couldn't find any debt outstanding whatsoever there was if there was this big debt that he owed somebody and it killed him for it it's not there there's no evidence and it's so strange to me why like who was anonymously it's kind of fucked up i feel like though i mean you hear about this all the time where it's like as soon as something gets into the news police get like a billion phone calls about stuff and so many people just make phone calls that are misleading just so they can like be involved in something or whatever their reason is. And it's like, would you fuck off? Like, you're wasting resources yeah. and time that could be better spent actually helping. Like, yeah. And could we, like, have a little bit of respect for this person who has lost their life? Exactly. And not just do whatever, turn it around about you yeah, and, and try drag to just them get through get the mud you and involved stuff. in something? Exactly. Yeah. So that was a dead end. On May 4th, Greg was buried and. Pamela, she says that she was so distraught that her mom and her sister were on either side of her and they were basically like holding her up coming out of the church because she was just so distraught, so upset. And her friend, one of her friends said that like she was like laying on top of the casket, like sobbing through the service, I guess. Mm -hmm. Sonia Fort and Simon? I think so. Yeah. So then Bill Spencer is the reporter that I was talking about earlier that was like, dang, she looked good. Like, it was just amazing how beautiful she looked and she was gorgeous and whatever. And it makes sense why he said, he pointed that out because he says... Right. He he did a lot of the news reports on the Smart case and he did a phone interview with Pamela and she said she wanted to clear up some, the miscommunication that there was some kind of drug deal gone bad. So she just wanted to set the record straight and she wanted him to do the story. So... Mm -hmm. Shh. Sorry. I feel like if there was, like, another name for this case, it could be called He Said, She Said. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Because everything that anybody says, Pam is like, that's not how it happened. So, yeah, Bill is like, you know, my media or news director or whatever is, like, giving me hell about, you know, staying on top of this case or whatever. What are you going to do about that case today? What are you going to do about that case today? And I thought it was kind of shitty. I mean, I, I know it's true, but he's like, you know... We would do anything to increase our viewership and our, you know, audience. It's a business. So Yeah. So it's just like, how can we exploit the murder of this person? But he's like... But at he, the same time, and I, I understand exactly what you're saying, and I don't think that you're wrong, but that's the kind of stuff that I want to watch. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. I mean, it definitely does, like... We want to know every interested. detail. Yeah. Yeah, so he's like, you know, we're trying to do whatever we can to they know that this is a huge story, especially for that area where Detective Pelletier is not investigating any homicides because of his own fault. And <laughs> for like 2 years. Yeah, so like now he's finally getting off his ass and doing something. <laughs> and so they've got they've got this story that they can he wants to break, you know, every developing Um, you know, development in the case. (laughs) He's going to break it. So, but he says, like, he's in the middle of his media or news director or whatever being like, get on it, get on it. You know, we got to get more out there, more out there. What are you going to do on the Pam Smart case? And then he says he gets a phone call, and they're like, hey, Bill, phone call for you. And he's like, who is it? And they're like, it's Pam Smart. And he's like, yeah, okay. And then they're like, no, for real, it's Pam Smart. Like, get on the phone. And then he gets on the phone, and he's like, oh, shit, it's Pam Smart. Yeah, so... He said that she was asking him to do the interview because she wanted to set the record straight. And she said that all the other news reporters were saying, were basically perpetuating the rumors that Greg was into drugs or gambling or whatever. And she said that she appreciated that he had not reported that. She noticed that about him. So if she you watched Letterkenny. She was Squirrely Dan and him, and she was like, And that's what I appreciate about you. <laughs> and um, he was like, oh, Okay, you know, cool, love it, whatever. And she's like, Well, I want to give you the interview because I trust you to actually get the information out there correctly or appropriately. And he's like, Okay. And then they asked Pam, and she's like, Uh uh-uh, uh, that's not what happened. I didn't know who he was. What do you mean I called him? I didn't know who he was. Like, I just, he was calling my house all the time. He was calling my parents' house and telling them that he was going to uncover all of these, like, dirty secrets about Greg that he had discovered on his own investigation and all this stuff. And so, finally, I was, he kept saying, you're the only person who can clear this up, Pam. I, I just don't see Bill as an intimidating person like that. And if we know anything about Pam, I'm shocked that, That the way that it went down was that Pam actually called Bill because in her classic Pam behavior, she would have gotten her friend to call him. Yeah, exactly. That's true. But it's not, do you want to interview me? Check yes or no. Exactly. (laughs) Like she obviously, even though the first route that she went with the detectives was to send her friends in for her, but she's looking for attention. Like, mm-hmm. obviously. So it's like, yeah. who are you going to believe? I mean, it kind of, I, I don't know. I believe Bill Spencer, you know? Yeah, I do. I I think that she called, especially her behavior through the interview. Yes. I think that she sought it out. Police, of course, like they do with everybody, they're like, do not go on the news. Don't do it. Do not do any interviews. And she's like, okay, except psych, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. She's like... The more she thought about it, she just really needed to like clear Greg's name and she just had to clear all this stuff up. She was just doing it for Greg. Yeah. Yeah. So three days after Greg's funeral, Pam sits down for an interview and Bill, that's when he was like, she looked so stunning that (laughs) I couldn't even contain myself. He didn't say that, but he was like, she looked great. Her makeup was great. Her hair was great. Her outfit, she was dressed well. She just looked beautiful. And he said that that was really weird to him because he's like, this is three days. Yeah. She's not even a week out after her husband's been murdered and she looks like a million bucks, basically. Yes. Like, she looks like she woke up feeling great. She had her pressed juice. She went to yoga. (laughs) She got a blowout. Sure, she did. She went to Starbucks, too. Yes, girl. That's That's just living your best life. And that's what Pam was doing that morning. She was just, like, living her best life. And earlier in the documentary, Diane Diamond, she asked Pamela what she wanted to be when she grew up. Yeah. Like what did, what were your hopes? Aspirations. What yeah. was your, when you went to college, college, what did you yes. want to do with that? And little Pammy was like, I want to do what you're doing. I wanted to be a reporter. She said she didn't really, she wanted to do like human interest pieces. So she didn't really care about the blood, the guts, the glory, like all that stuff. She just wanted to talk to people about their stories. So that plays into this part of what Bill recalls. He was like, they're sitting there doing this interview. And she gets up and she's like, well, hang on a second. Wouldn't it be amazing if we went into the kitchen, I got into the freezer and took the top layer of our wedding cake out. And it would just be great for the story. Like a great shot of that. Yeah. Like, why don't you get that shot? It would just be like a really poignant moment. In this story. And Bill's like, what? Yeah. Um, squeeze me? He, he said that's when he realized that she was thinking more like a reporter and less like a victim of murder. Yeah, like I feel like she was using that moment. She's like, okay, well, I'm, I want to be a reporter. This is me being in the media. People already feel sorry for me because my husband's just been murdered, but I am going to use this chance, opportunity, To (laughs) show off my skills as a reporter. So she's the way that she's directing. Yeah, (laughs) she's directing it. And the way that she's talking about the future and all that is you. I feel like you can see that that's what she's trying to do. Yes. that she's trying to get the attention of somebody who's going to turn around and like hire her off of it. She's like, you want to do good and you hope you do good. And I think I did pretty good. Yeah. I woke up with a bright outlook on the day a year ago, now facing one of the happiest days of my life and the beginning of our future together. And today I have to wake up and realize that there is no future for us. There's a future for me, but not for us. Just the way she's saying, like, a year ago I woke up, now facing one of the happiest days of my life. Like, I think she, I think if you really went through all of her stuff, you would find a diary where she tried to write that script over and over and over. That's not how you, now facing one of the happiest days of my life. That doesn't even sound right. I don't know. And she doesn't sound like off-the-cuff, candid speech. Exactly. And she... Unless you're Ashley Parker Angel. Oh, yeah, but he would have said it way better than that. He would have, yeah. So, and she's also like, again, like we said, she's like days out from this murder and she's talking about how there's not a future for her and her husband anymore. No and crying. No crying. She doesn't break down or anything. She And also, this, this is not about Greg. This is about her. All of these media appearances that she continues to do after this are about her. How is she going to pick up the pieces of her life now that all this is happened and like where's she gonna go from here all that kind of stuff it's not about greg it's not about we need to find his killer it's not about
1: if here's you have any who greg information
0: was. yeah right it's nothing it's just like well you know last year i was thinking about our future together and now like i have a future but he doesn't anymore so like we don't have a future together and then like her talking about like well You know, he's going to affect everything that I do, all of my... Decision making. Yeah, from here on out. Just no emotion. It's like in Friends, when Chandler can't cry, and Monica's like, I know I'd be crying a river inside. And then she's like, what are you, like, dead inside? (laughs) Right, exactly. Robot? Like, that's how she is. She's just like, not... And again, you know, maybe she is a person who doesn't show stuff like that necessarily outwardly, but you got to think there'd be something. Exactly. If you're coming to that realization that, oh my gosh, I don't, I can't talk to him at the end of the day anymore. I can't have babies with him. I can't, we're not going to retire. We're not going to get that, you know, rocking chair on the back porch that we were, you know, whatever it is like. And it just seems like, cause she doesn't even seem shocked even, you know what I mean? Just kind of like sitting there just like, oh my gosh, like the reality has is setting in or i'm not like i'm numb to it or whatever it's just like it seems to me and i think that you would agree that she's just she's had a a lot of time to come to this yes and that's what i was seeing in that interview yeah after that interview she starts speaking to all kinds of other media and detective pelletier said that most of the time when you see somebody doing interviews like this, they're asking for help in finding the murderer. Like we just, just talked about not showing off the top tier of their wedding cake. And she starts telling the police or telling the media, excuse me, things that the police don't want her to tell. Like Yeah, she's starting to leak information that they have not leaked to the public yet. Yes, and that's exactly why they didn't want her yeah to talk to the media at all anyway. But she's just telling them all kinds of... Like, just, yeah, the details that they have not leaked yet and that could give them an upper hand in finding the suspect. Yeah, they don't want people to necessarily know that it was, looked like a burglary gone wrong or that, you know, this door was open or that door was open or, you know, whatever. Like, she's giving out very detailed information Mm -hmm. and this is information that you know if they do get somebody who confesses or gives them a tip or whatever they're gonna know they can help weed it out because they knew something that nobody else knew yeah and she's blasting all their shit and she she says I mean I guess it angered them that I was like talking to the media or whatever but and she kept saying looking backwards she doesn't say looking back on it she says I mean looking backwards like I didn't think i didn't have anything to hide so i didn't see why i couldn't say any of that stuff and they're like well you dumb bitch you're you're ruining the investigation <laughs> exactly making a mess of it and it's it just what they told her not to do she just big harry went out and did it anyway you know like yeah it was like it's just ridiculous abducted in plain sight and they did not listen yes exactly <laughs> So at that point, detectives were shutting her ass out. They're like, we're not telling you anything. Mm -mm. But they did get information from her. Yeah. They're just not sharing. It's a very one-way street, very selfish way to act. Yeah, the information store is closed.
1: Try again
0: later. Yeah. Bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Police are still at a dead end, though, and they have no clues or leads, and nothing is pointing to the burglary. But then... On May 14th, 1990. Terrell, you want to hit me again with that date? Hey, I don't know if you guys know this, but the call came in on May the 14th, 1990, in the year of our Lord. (laughs) You actually did let a little piece of information slip that I hadn't said yet. I didn't say the call, and you just did. Yep. You need to let me do my fucking job. (laughs) A call comes in to the Dairy Police Department. On May the 14th, 1990. <laughs> An anonymous woman calls. And she says that from what she has heard, that the wife had planned this. And they're like, huh? Because their ears are all perked up and they're excited about this information. I think they kind of felt like that. Well, duh. And that's... Why everybody suspects the spouse first anyway? Because but you know what I really appreciate about these people—that's what I appreciates about you. <laughs> they still ran all the other leads down though. They went all the way to Atlantic City. They took everything seriously. Yeah, they—they they didn't just open and shut, walk in and be like, "Well, there's no sign of forced entry, so the wife did it." So I'm not even going to check in anything else. They were talking to people. They're traveling. They're checking on these gambling debts. They're checking on all these other things. Like, I think they did a really thorough investigation. And and there are lots of cases, I feel like, that we cover that police get in their head the narrative and then they try to make the facts fit instead of the other way around. And Mm -hmm. I just, I commend them. It was wicked awesome investigation. (laughs) (laughs) So finally, Detective Pelletier is doing good detective work. Yeah, I think he felt bad about... Just dragging ass. Yeah. Yeah. JK, he was a great detective. Yeah. Love you. <laughs> she says that she works at a local Italian restaurant and that a 15-year-old that was working there as well started talking about a woman saying that she wanted to have her husband murdered. And she says that that little girl's name, and I'm going to say little girl because it's over like half as young, you know, my age, half, whatever. whatever. anyway, so... Yeah, that little... I'm double her age. That little <laughs> ankle biter. <laughs> a little varmint. Her name was Cecilia Pierce and that she was involved in it. So they... She was a student at the school where Pamela worked and she was also interning for Pamela. Yeah, the police immediately recognized her name because she came up in the discovery already because mm-hmm. they're looking at people, you know... Close to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they know that she's been... Pretty close to the Pam, totally. So they track her down, and then on Detective Twenty First, Detective, <laughs> what? You what said did I say? On Detective Twenty First. Did I really? God bless it. It's on like, poor dung. <laughs> okay, that was one time. <laughs> you I said, and on Detective Twenty First. My husband is the world's worst at speaking in all. Manners, like he cannot say words right. He trips over them. It's just ridiculous. And like that, the other day, he said "porch" instead of "porch," <laughs> <laughs> and that little mf'er has rubbed off on me. And now I can't say shit. It's like yep. his his plan has totally worked. Our podcast just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? <laughs> on Detective Twenty First, <21st. laughs> I was like, "What the fuck?" Detective also about? means May. Yeah, in case you guys were wondering. <laughs> So on May 21st, Detective Barry Sherowitz, which is the perfect last name because it combines Cher and Horowitz. And Horowitz. Horowitz. I know. I was like. I know. I'm watching Clueless. (laughs) Basically. Yes, exactly. And you want to be a supermodel. Mm -hmm. Detective Barry Sherowitz meets Cecilia at her parents' home in the tiny, tiny little town of Seabrook. Apparently. Oh, go ahead. What? No, I was just saying now they, the people weren't too nice about seabrook that's what i was exactly gonna say so go ahead yeah they kind of made it sound like it was the wrong side of the tracks like like if it was a john hughes movie and it would be like cecilia would try to want to be with one of like the preps but nobody would like her because she was on the wrong side of the tracks and she wouldn't even want to bring like blaine to her house because she was so embarrassed about it she like hung out on the grassy knoll ew yeah slackers prefer that grassy over there <laughs> yeah yeah they just kind of talked about it like the people in seabrook i thought seabrook sounded like a beautiful town it sounds adorable yeah sounds, sounds better sounds than quaint. dairy yeah but name wise name wise yeah but they yeah they just said that the people of seabrook don't have a lot of money and there, there's a much higher crime rate there just and rough 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 around the edges yeah yes so they asked her what she knew about the info <laughs> the info or info that they had gotten. The info. Oh my god. Shut up. <laughs> In the anonymous phone call. And she said that she didn't know what they were talking about. She didn't have no infumation. <laughs> okay, Damn we'll, it. we'll lock it up. She didn't have any, though. She didn't. And he continues to probe and probe and probe her. And then he got a strange detail. And she said that she had stayed at the Smart's condo the week before the murder. and For, like, the whole week, right? Yes, a whole week. I don't know why, but she was there. And Detective Cher Horowitz was like, <laughs> excuse me, because Pam never said anything about that like Mm -mm. they asked her to give them a list of everybody who has been in the condo yeah like for the month before that yeah because they were like we're gonna dust for fingerprints so if we find somebody's fingerprints we need to be able to be like well that person was supposed to be here so we can eliminate them and or just talk to them about if they noticed any you know put them on a list just to interrogate them and they said that she even went to the pains of telling them that they had, like, a water delivery or something. They had some kind of a delivery. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah, so she talked about, told them about the guy who delivered it to be sure that they knew that his fingerprints might be in the house because he had delivered something. Yes. So, like, she goes to the trouble to remember every individual person that has come into her home. Yes, she's like, the mailman walked by multiple times. Yeah. And... But Cecilia staying for a whole week? Not mentioned. Nope. It's not poignant to the story. (laughs) That's important information. Shut up. I think. They look back on the entire time that Pamela has been alive after the murder. Like, everything. They're, you know, looking back on all of these instances. And they're like, well, Pammy's acting a fucking fool. Like, she's acting weird. And of course now, I mean, I think that during it, they're like red flag, red flag, red flag, but they're really, really taking note of that now. Yeah. The night of the interview, she was thinking like he, um, detective Pelletier's recalling this and he's like the night of the interview, she was thinking like a million miles an hour. She was having like been trying to get her story straight. There's no emotion, no tears, no breaking down. And then Pam, she was getting real frustrated with this case. She was saying that nothing is happening with it. There are no leads. They're not talking about it. There's not a lot of media coverage on it. So on June 6th, I don't know what other word I could use there instead of detective. But on June 6th, she invites Bill Spencer back over to her home to do another interview, which she does agree that that's exactly what she did. She did not say that he was barking up her tree about it. Yeah, that's true. Bill says that she had just moved into a brand new condo, which he understood because she probably didn't want to be in the same condo where her husband was murdered. Understandable. Sure. Got it. And she wanted to talk about what's happening in the case. And she told him that they had a few leads, but they needed to explore all the other options and really nail it down who they thought did this. I feel like that interview makes more sense. Like if she felt like, Nothing was happening. They weren't getting any leads. She wants to get it back out into the media. Right. But at the same time, they're not going to tell her if they have any leads because she can't keep her big pie hole shut. Yeah, that's true. But she probably doesn't get that because she doesn't see what the problem was in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I guess it angered them. She just, even now, sounds like a a middle schooler, like the way that she talks, you know, she's like... I mean, if that, I guess if that bothers you, like, well, shit, it bothers them. I think she kind of just stopped at, like, 17. Yes. That's it. Yes, exactly. On June 10th, 1990, so this is six weeks after the murder, a man walks into the Seabrook Police Department, and he said he wanted to show detectives something that he had. His name is Vance Latamy. And he tells police that a friend of his son's named Ralph Welch went to him and said, you know, I think your gun had been used to kill that man in Derry, New Hampshire. And Vance was like, no, 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 no. Cause he's like, I keep, cause he had a gun cabinet. He had a lot of guns. He probably had a rack to hold a gun on. It's from Wayne's world. Oh. <sighs> and he kept track of all of his guns yeah and he's like i don't know that guy there's no way what yeah, do you mean absolutely not yeah but then he went and checked in his gun cabinet and in noticed he did oh for sure because if somebody told me that you murdered someone i wouldn't be like let me make sure real quick I yeah probably exactly would just take them for their word or you know be like no that's just ridiculous you would shut just up. believe them blindly and i would turn your ass in in a the second. <laughs> yes we'll call up all the detectives that i know he went and checked on the gun and realized that one of the guns that he had used very recently that he had put back into the gun cabinet uncleaned. And I guess that means like with rounds still in it and things like that. I'm not guessing that he was like, he dusts them before he puts them back in or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he put it back in and he hadn't cleaned it. But when he looks and checks it, it had been cleaned. Mm -hmm. So riddle me this, you know, how did that happen? Curiouser and curiouser. Exactly. So with the knowledge that he had about the gun being cleaned and what he found out from Ralph, he decided he was going to go straight to the police. I mean, good guy. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Especially if it's like... Well, and Ralph too. I know. Yeah. Exactly. They're both just great. Salt of the earth, Absolutely. those men. And they live in Seabrook. I know. Seabrook's good people. They are good people. Yeah, Ugh. People are so rude about Seabrook. I love Seabrook. <laughs> they examine the pistol, police do, and find out that it's a thirty-eight caliber, which is the same caliber that was used to murder Greg Smart. Uh-oh. I know. Then they bring in Ralph Welch, And they interview him, and they found out that Ralph Welch had been living with the Latamies. They kind of took him in off the streets. I guess he, even though he is a good, good person, he maybe had kind of a rough upbringing. So he was wandering the streets, and they brought him in and let him live with them, which was very nice. Yes. Vance Latamy, great guy. Yeah. He is best friends with Vance's son named Jr., who has very unfortunate hair and glasses. My goodness. He sure does. It's just really, And... He's also friends with another local boy named Pete Randall, and then they also have another friend named Bill Flynn. They go interchangeably. It's like Pamela, Pam, Billy, Bill, Jr. and then I guess Jr. is also Vance. I think he's like Vance Latamy Jr., and they just call him Jr. Oh, okay, okay. Ralph said that he started hearing rumors about his friends and that they were involved in the murder of Greg Smart, and Billy was going around bragging about it. So Ralph asked him if it was true that they had killed him, and he was like, no, that's not, no, that didn't happen. But then he overhears them talking about who would be next, like who they would kill next. So he goes back in the room, and he's like, "Uh, I cannot believe that you guys lied to me about this. I just asked you, and you said it wasn't you. And then Bill then goes on to tell him the story of how they did it. And he said that Pete held Greg's head, and Bill pulled the trigger. And they were supposed to get insurance money from Pam. Detective Sherowitz asked Ralph if he knew why Pam had wanted Greg killed. And he said that she told, I guess, Bill or all of them, I don't know, that Greg liked the dog more than he liked her and that he was worth way more dead than he was alive. Hateful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Then investigators look at the boys that Ralph had named and they all had some like kind of minor juvenile delinquent type stuff on their records. Like they would steal car stereos out of cars and um, minor thefty kind of stuff. So then they go to the Winnicunit High School where Pam worked and they found out that Bill and Jr. knew Pam personally. And all the students had to go through what they called Project Self-Esteem. And Pam was one of the mentors of the school, so she worked directly with them on Project Self-Esteem. Yeah, she makes high school boys feel better about themselves. Yeah, by touching their peens. Yeah, she's disgusting. So Billy, J.R., and Cecilia were all part of that project. They also found out that Pam had just collected $140,000 from Greg's life insurance policy. Yeah, which was, I mean, a lot of money. He had, like, three or four policies that totaled that. And, and he's she only made 23, sure. 24 years old. Yeah. And, and, and like he sold insurance. So maybe that's why he had a little bit more. I don't know. But I think at that time, now this is just me. I don't know that this happened. But at that time, I think you could take out policies on people without them having to sign off on it or whatever. But there were several policies and they totaled 140000 And like that's a bunch of money for this 22-year-old woman right in 1990 yeah to just like be handed and she had cashed in all of them so to me I don't know I mean you know again the other side of it is you've got a house you've got bills you've got to pay and you are working on only one income to provide all that right so you're gonna and you've got funeral expenses and all those kind of things but there was multiple life insurance policies and she had already cashed in on all of them you know I don't know Exactly. Well, I mean, that that hair is not going to perm itself, Torella. Well, that's true. I mean, come on. I'm sorry. They, detectives, then they got a, all of the information that they needed together to get search warrants for their homes and arrest warrants for the boys. So then they go to arrest them. Well, Seabrook's teeny, teeny tiny, right? And everybody knows everybody and talks about all kinds of shit. So apparently, all of the boys knew that they were going to be arrested for this, so they take the fuck off. They nobody can find them. They looked and looked and looked, couldn't find them. Then I guess their parents, like you know, Vance, all of the other boys' parents were like, "Y'all need to turn yourselves in. Like this is ridiculous. You need to go do it." So then they did. On June 11th, 1990, they were arrested, and Pam called the police station to find out who was arrested for the murder, because she's watching the news, and she sees that three juveniles have been arrested in connection to the murder of Mm -hmm. Greg Smart. Well, they wouldn't give out names because they were all juveniles. But they said that the pictures were on TV. That's what I'm saying. They said, we're not going to give names here's what they look like and here's yeah. where they go to school and here's so it's like if you're in the community you're gonna be able to pick out who that is because I'm that doesn't sh- seem like it's protecting their privacy exactly like i'm pretty sure especially now i've never seen anything where they don't give the name but they show the picture Mm-mm. unless but they don't know it maybe or then something. also for pam know. if she was watching the news she, she you're could telling see me you don't recognize it was. yeah Flynn. exactly what the fuck? I know, right? Maybe they should have posted a picture of yeah, him naked or something. Maybe it was a nude photo. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't sure. Exactly. So she's trying to figure out the names, and then she said that she ended up figuring it out from Billy Flynn's mother because she called to his house to find out if he knew who was arrested, she said. Why the fuck is she calling Billy Flynn's Why house? Why would he have any information? Exactly. Yeah. And she's the one who said it. Like She was like, I I, I heard it from Bill Bill's mother. Yeah. What? Ugh. So, it, it, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. No. Like, why during that time are you like, well, who could I call that would have information? Let me call Billy Flynn. Exactly. And see if he knows. Exactly, And he just so happened to be the shooter. And you didn't know that? Exactly. Fuck off. I know, right? Bill Spencer then decides to do a little investigating of his own. And he goes to the high school to find out if there's a connection between Pam Smart and the boys that were arrested, so he goes into the high school, and the like. Super soon, like early on, he sees a newspaper. It, like literally, it's like he walks in the door, and there's a newspaper with like a light shining on it, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's the newspaper, and there's a picture of two of the boys, Pete Randall and Billy Flynn, and Pamela Smart together. So it's like, bada bing, bada boom. Like there they are. That's in the, the connection. same fucking picture. Yes. Then he goes to Pam to ask her what's going on because now they have this rapport where he's been interviewing her a few times. And he said that she opened the door like only a few inches. She was, I mean, I saw, I, don't, a I wouldn't even of say it. it was a few inches. No. Yeah, you couldn't see at all. No, exactly. And she's super distraught, like just really, really, really upset about everything. And Bill's like, Pam, come on. I mean, this is what you've been waiting for. Yeah, isn't this great news? They yeah. arrested somebody. Yes. Like this is what we've this is what we've been hoping for. Yeah. And she said, I can't comment, Bill. I really can't. I'm totally devastated by this. Yeah. And Bill like, was like Yeah, why are you so devastated? That's Yeah, what do you mean? Isn't this a good thing that they're like making arrests in your husband's case? Yes. You wanna know what happened? Yes. Detectives. Then question the boys about Pam's involvement in the murder, and they just flat out refused to talk because them being juveniles, their parents had hired lawyers. They can't talk to them without the lawyers present, all the things. And they don't want to give any statements. And so they're like, well, fine, we're going to go into jail. Yes. And we're going to go crack Cecilia Pierce. Yep. She goes in with her mother and is interviewed. Barry Sherowitz conducts that interview and in with them is Captain Lauren Jackson and I was surprised to find out because at first I was like, uh oh, female captain, love it. It's not, it's a man named Lauren. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. thought, Lauren, I've heard that, but not because mm-hmm. I was Lauren. like, I literally thought to myself, like, that's awesome, or else we have a boy named Sue type of situation. Yeah, here, yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, they're, they were not progressive in 1990. No, there was like a woman cop. <laughs> <laughs> no. She Doesn't Doesn't she have some eggs to fry? <laughs> <laughs> right. So yep. Captain Jackson tells Cecilia that they know that she knows something and that she better start talking. Mm-hmm. And Cecilia's mom is like, you can't talk to her like that. I loved how he was like, and he educated her mother. <laughs> Just like he gave her the what for. I yes, think. exactly. Bent her over a barrel and showed her the 50 states. Yeah, I think, because I think her mom was like, didn't think didn't want to think that she had anything to do with it and i think the captain was like let me tell you something she's very involved in this Mm -hmm. she ain't telling you the truth Mm -mm. we know a lot more it's gonna behoove her to cooperate exactly So he says she's in over her head and we have got to get her out of some really serious trouble because the only thing that's going to happen here is that she's going to get in even more trouble if she doesn't straighten up and start talking. Yeah. Cecilia's eyes are like darting all over the place. She's got her arms crossed. She looks and appears to be like super agitated and very like anxious about this. And then she just like bursts out with, I have to go to driver's ed. And she just gets up and leaves. (laughs) Uh, yeah, nobody ever... Um, I didn't want to go to driver's ed, I guess. <laughs> no. No. I didn't even take it. That's how much I didn't want to go. You could not take it? Yes. The, the only thing that... The only reason why you would take driver's ed is to, I mean, I guess, learn to drive a car, which look how far it's gotten you. <laughs> and you get a break on your insurance. Hmm. Anyway. I thought I, I thought I had to take it. Nope, you don't. Damn. So, it was obvious to Detective pelletier that he said she was really anxious really nervous so later that night cecilia realizes that shit's getting real she's watching the news and she said that and she's being interviewed right at that point cecilia was and she was like i was watching the news and i saw on there that it said that somebody else was going to they were probably going to arrest another person soon and she said well that's probably going to be me So then she goes to her mom and she tells her mom that she needs to talk to her. And she said that her mom was like, not really surprised by that at all. Then she said she knew how much time they had been, because they had been spending so much time with with Pam. So it was like, you know, no shit. Obviously you probably are doing something, but we had, had knowledge about it. Yeah. The following night they call police and they said that they wanted to cooperate. And (laughs) detective Pelletier's, Telling this and the smirk on his face <laughs> is so funny. He's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought you might say that exactly. So, what she they go into the police department, and in a taped interview, she said that she'd been spending a lot of time with Pam, but she hadn't been recently. And then she told them that Pam had been having an affair with Bill Flynn, which I my knowledge on the Pam Smart Greg Smart case was minimal, if that, before this. And I watched that, and I was like, <gasps> oh, my gosh, because I just did not see this coming at all. Really? You didn't know that? No. Oh. And that she was in love with him, and she said, and obviously, they were having sex because I walked in on them. And then that's the end of the episode. And I was just like, ugh. I mean, it's, ugh. Yeah. She's, 20, she's 22. That's the younger end of your sure. 20s. Not but he's 15. 15. That's a kid. Gross. Yeah. And like, that's the first time that he had kissed a girl at all. Was Pam? I don't know. It's just gross. It's just gross. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, later on, I mean, we'll get into the other two episodes where they talk about, you know, there's the one thought, you know, camp that she manipulated him using sex Mm -hmm. and then her defense attorney is like what no that's that's stupid like that's not what happened and you know he he did it all on his own and all this stuff she didn't manipulate him but he's 15 and this is his first sexual encounter with a woman this is the first time he's ever even made out with somebody you tell me she's not using that yeah like he's 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 so young, and he's so impressionable. Like, I just think, not that he didn't do anything wrong, but that's telling. That was his first. It's not like he was bird, dog, and chicks all the time, I guess. Right, exactly. Like, he wasn't, I mean, He wasn't Sean from Boy Meets World. Exactly. It's like he's not already doing this with a lot of other people. That was his first time. Mm Mm-hmm. Sad. It is sad. And disgusting. It is sad and disgusting. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we'll, uh, you know, we'll do part two next week. You can watch this on Hulu, BT Dub. Yes. If you want to keep up or if you want to, you know. Blast ahead. Yeah, exactly. Whatever you want to do. Do whatever your little heart makes happy. You know, we just want you to be happy. We want you to do whatever you want to do. We do. Or you can just keep waiting for us to do the next one. Yeah. You so. could, You if it makes you happy for us to stop talking now. You know, maybe, maybe we will. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Also, one thing that could make you happy is a, a Killer Queen's Pop Socket. Oh, that would make me happy. Yeah. It does, because I already have one. <laughs> yeah. So you can order one, you know, you can go to our, our website, killerqueenspodcast.com slash shop. And you can also stay tuned for more merch because we're getting the ball rolling on it. You didn't ask, but we're delivering. So, <laughs> <laughs> some people ask. Oh, okay. Well, yep. the two of you that asked. Yeah. Here it here. We're getting there. Here it comes. Yep. Yes, exactly. So, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on for the next episode. Bye. Bye get in on the conversation on facebook and instagram at killer queens podcast and join our facebook discussion group at killer queens podcast where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s if you want to submit a case to be covered on the show visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form if we cover the case we'll even give you a shout out on the show killer queens is researched mixed and mastered by our own damn selves The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. And our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Lilas! Lilas.